Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. Good morning. It might not be good morning where you are. It might be good afternoon or good evening. So, hello. Hello, my friends. It's a fresh week. We have an opportunity to glorify God and sow peace. We have an opportunity to bring the mind of Christ to bear on the matters of the day. Um, I'm so grateful for you. I'm grateful for all of the divine opportunities that God has set in the hours ahead. I'm so grateful that God has already um, poured out every every good and perfect gift from his hand that will equip and empower us to faithfully walk um, in the minutes and hours and days ahead. Like God has already prepared in advance good works for us to do, and God has already given us everything's ne- that's necessary for the accomplishing of his will. I mean, I don't know about you, but that means I can sort of like exhale on a Monday and be like, all right, I, I, I might feel overwhelmed, but there's going to be enough. There's going to be enough grace, all sufficient for the living of this day. Whew, God's got this. God's got me in this, whatever this is. I am going to, like Paul, live with... Um, the peace which passes all understanding and with a contentment, no matter the circumstances. Do you know the secret of being content? If you don't, his name is Jesus, and we would love to share him with you. Um, He is sufficient for everything that you are facing today. Everything. Um, God's got this. Last night, um, Hollywood returned to the Oscars. You know, it's a post-COVID reality, so all the people in their fancy clothes on the red carpet. Um, it's it is quite a scene. Um, and and in the midst of all of it, something happened that you should be aware of. Um, one of the people who had been nominated for um, for an Oscar was Will Smith, and I mean, ultimately, no spoiler alert here. Um, he won an Oscar. But he may lose his Oscar because in the middle of the ceremony, before he got his award, he actually got up from his seat, um, went up onto the stage and physically assaulted. I mean, slapped uh, the host, Chris Rock, for having made what Will Smith thought was an inappropriate joke about a medical condition that his wife, Jada Pika um, Smith, suffers from um, called alopecia. So because uh, of a condition called alopecia, she has lost her hair. And that is difficult. No matter who you are, as a woman, that is difficult. Um, And so in, I don't know, a moment of whatever it was that Will Smith was feeling at the time, you know, he rose up in defense of his wife and um, hit a comedian for making a joke. 
And so um, I don't recommend that you watch the video because the language uh, related to it is terrible. But um, I think knowing today that this happened last night at the Oscars might be important. I think it gives us an opportunity to talk about character, um, to talk about what we are able to withstand, to talk about what is funny, what goes beyond the bounds of humor, um, what we will laugh at or who we will laugh with. Um, what does that look like in the culture today? Is anything funny anymore if you're making fun of someone? And then what does it mean for you and I as Christians to live in the character of Christ no matter what? To live in the character of Christ no matter what? Um, Jesus, who in the Garden of Gethsemane um, told Peter to put his sword away when he lifted it, Um, in opposition to Jesus being taken into custody by the Romans. Um, Jesus, who took on a crown of thorns and mockery and humiliation, stripped of his human dignity uh, for all of the watching world. I mean, in the character of Christ, you know, what can you take? And how do you keep your mind when all others about you are losing theirs? There's an issue of character. There is an issue not only of self-control, but of giving it all to God in the midst of a moment. So those might be uh, ways that you talk about what happened at the Oscars last night. We're going to turn to a conversation with Dr. Linda Mental, um, and we're going to talk about the church and mental health. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. You know her from the Dr. Linda Mental Show. Um, you can also find her online, drlindamental.com. The last time she was with us, we talked about the effects of watching war on mental health. She now has resources specifically related to that at her website and on her blog, um, drlindamental.com. Linda, welcome back. Hey, it's good to be with you this morning. Uh, good intro before this segment. I, I just got centered again when I was thinking about, you know, it's interesting this morning when I was doing my reading, um, my Bible reading, I I started off over in the Psalms because they're just so rich with so many things. And it's interesting that we're talking about mental health, the church and the culture. You brought up about the culture and what's going on in the culture. People are wound so tight, so stressed. Uh, And if they don't have the Lord in their lives, it's like they're a balloon ready to burst at any time. And that's probably what we saw on television. But the very first psalm, Carmen, is blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. And then it says in there, and in his law, he meditates day and night. And as a result of that, he's going to be able to stand firm. So, you know, what a great reminder, uh, the words that you gave this morning, the words of scripture, telling us to meditate day and night on the laws of the Lord and look to the Lord for all godly counsel, because we're going to be blessed when we do that. It helps bring so much into perspective. Um, and I think that it, we, when we lose our perspective, then we tend to do things that, um, you know, they may be in character for us, but they're totally out of character for Christ. Right. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So, Linda, um, 
I had a conversation with my mom over the weekend. Um, I had several conversations with my mom over the weekend, but one of them um, was she's just making this observation and she's not wrong. I just didn't quite know how to answer her. Um, it, she says it just seems like everybody has a mental health diagnosis now. Everybody is, mm-hmm. you know, either um, and some of them are biological. And that was one of the conversations we had, like, and I don't mm-hmm. even know that they're supposed to be categorized as mental health issues, but they are certainly challenges that people are facing um, because of what is or isn't the connections being made or not made in their minds um, or how their mind is wired differently. Um, but can you talk a little bit uh, just uh, your ob- maybe just observationally, like, are there more people with the range of what we might consider not only mental illnesses, but things that affect the mind, mental disorders um, than there used to be? Or are we just we just recognize more of them and they're diagnosed more frequently? Yeah, I think it's it's part of both, because obviously, as we get better at recognizing diagnoses and people are more willing to talk about what's going on in their life because the stigma while it's still there, it's it's obviously been a little bit more removed as people talk about their mental health problems. But, you know, when you when you consider just consider depression, one in five people in our country, and if they they don't get help, about one in ten will be hospitalized. That's a that's a lot of people that we're talking about, and we do know. So there is like some balance in this conversation. We do know that our genetics account for about thirty to forty percent of our predisposition to a mental health problem. And that's just the brokenness of man and the way things get transmitted through families and in genetically. And then in substance use, it's even much higher. It's it's about 60% of a genetic predisposition. So you can have a predisposition and then you can have life events and all of that can make this express in your lifetime. But I wanna say that, you know, because you have a predisposition or because you've had traumatic events, and difficult things that have happened to you in your life, that does not mean that you're going to be a victim of mental health. It just means as we look at the culture, and this is what you talk about so beautifully, if we if we look at the changes in the culture in the last 50 years, um, you know, I can see it in my own lifetime where it used to be that Judeo-Christian principles were part of my grade school experience. We prayed before classes in a public school. Uh, We talked about character in the public school based on, really, the Bible. There was a very specific right and wrong. There was actual truth that we were trying to live our life by. And when you pull that out, which is what the culture has done, we've become more and more secularized. We don't see solutions on television shows that are part of the faith experience. We don't see people turning to prayer when they're in need. We don't, we see loose morals and people just acting however they want. If I hear one more person use the term my truth, you know, every time I hear that, I think of the kings. They did what was right in their own eyes. And that did not go well in the Bible. Mm -hmm. So I think this pulling out of a biblical foundation in the culture more and more is leaving more people without a plumb line. They don't have any truth to anchor their life. And it's really clear in scripture that Jesus is the truth. And he says over and over, the truth is going to set you free. So the, the, the crazy part of this is that we have more and more disturbed people dealing with difficult, difficult things and are, are developing mental health disorders. And yet we have a Bible who, that is extremely prescriptive, 
that gives the answers, that talks about the transforming power of the spirit in a person's life. And we're minimizing that in our culture and we're not turning to the Bible or to Jesus for those solutions. Now, I'm not saying that you don't have to do some other things in your life, make better choices. And, you know, at times when something is more organic, take medication, that type of thing. But the principles are there and the power of Christ in our lives to transform us is beyond anything that a medication Mm -hmm. or anything can offer you. And yet we're not looking to those sources. So Dr. Linda Mendel is going to help us do precisely that. She's going to help us look to those sources. Um, One in every five people is going to be diagnosed with a mental health disorder uh, this year. One in five. Um, How are we as the church preparing to respond to that? How are we addressing that reality in advance of the diagnosis? How are we talking about it um, without stigma once people are diagnosed? And then what are we doing um, to encourage one another to live um, to live uh, with the reality uh, of a world that is um, having a very hard time living rightly in the life of the mind. All of that up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Dr. Linda Mental is our conversation partner. We'll be right back. How can the church help when it comes to the mental health challenges that people are facing and the mental health crisis in our culture. Dr. Linda Mental joins us. You can find the article at drlindamental.com. Um, all right, Linda, how does the church help mental health? One of the really interesting things that, that I see when I see people that are struggling with anxiety and depression and trauma in their life, which are the top three that most people are dealing with, is that so often the root of that is that people have no purpose. They have no meaning. They've really lost hope because they're existing in their daily life and they don't see a bigger picture in which they are a part where they are called, first of all, to someone and then called to something, which is our vocation and what we do. Um, so this this crisis of lack of purpose is one of the very specific things that the church speaks to. When you become a believer and you understand in the corporate body of Christ that you're part of a body and that you have a function and that there's purpose and there's hope in your life, that has a very positive impact on your mental health because it directs you and it keeps you hopeful. So that's one big thing. Another thing in our culture that people are really struggling with, and it certainly got worse during the pandemic, was isolation. And when you're isolated, especially your mind goes into very can go into very dark places if there aren't people helping you uh, focus your mind back on the truth. Uh, and that's the power of the word. And that's why the, the scripture says meditate on it day and night, because your mind can so easily go into negative places and away from the truth of the Lord. So when you're in a church and you you belong to a body of people, you are getting that social support and it helps you stay in the truth. And also, if there's healthy leadership, and that's a big if, I know, if there's healthy leadership in a church, then a church community can provide you a very safe place to go and talk about things that are going on in your life. Uh, One of the things that is so powerful about AA groups, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous and Gamblers Anonymous, is that people meet. Often they meet in a church, which is interesting. The church has opened up space for that. But the power of that is they feel safe. 
they feel non-judged. They feel like they can bring their problems in real life to each other. And I just long for the day when the church becomes that really safe space for people where everybody comes in, they can bring their burdens to the Lord, they can get support from people. And we do see evidence of this, Carmen. We see the how the church has created a safe space or have provided mentors for kids that come from really difficult backgrounds. I, I remember when, when I was uh, dealing with a teenager who was a, a senior in high school, and she came from a horrific family situation. Her mom was a single mom. She was addicted using drugs. And she would make fun of my teen, because her, her daughter, because she was trying to stay in purity. And so she was making fun of her because she was having men in all the time and told her she was a prude. And, and I was seeing this young woman in, in therapy and the church was a significant factor for her because she was in a teen group. They were encouraging her. They were having her look at the word. They were talking about the consequences of not just casually engaging in sex and waiting till she's married, which is a very unpopular message in our culture today. But they really, really helped her. And I saw a young woman transformed by the power of the gospel, despite the environment she came from and where she was going. So don't underestimate the power of a Sunday school teacher, the power of a mentor in the church. And then finally, um, I think the biggest help that we can get is as we study the word, as we hear the sermons, um, we, we just had a, a, a service yesterday where we engaged in worship the entire time. And worship is transforming. Um, mm -hmm. Once you focus mm -hmm. uh, your eyes on God, uh, there are things that happen to you in that process that are, you know, we don't even really understand, but the Bible is just so filled with healthy prescriptions. I mean, that's part of what I try to do. I try to bring help for mental health and the things that we're all struggling with, but it's always based on biblical principles. You know, I was raised in the church. I know the Bible. I read the Bible. There's so much help in there. And if you can apply the word to your life and you can figure out, you know, how you are to act in character with the way Christ has us. There's so many scriptures that say you will be blessed, you will be brought in peace, you'll be able to sleep at night, you won't be anxious. You know, there are all these things that God tells us are, are within our grasp if we just look to the one who has the best for us in mind and we live our lives and we align with those things. So there's a lot that the church can do if you find a healthy church, you become part of that community, and you really go through the process of discipling yourself as uh, someone. And we need that in today's culture. I think speaking into think one another's lives is um, a crucial part of all of this. Um, and so, Linda, you'll appreciate this. Um, we've had a listener who texted in a little more um, on the aftermath of what happened last night at the Oscars. Denzel Washington, apparently in a follow-up conversation with Will Smith, uh, after Will Smith apologized to Chris Rock for smacking him on the, on the stage, Denzel Washington said, watch out. It is at your highest moment the devil comes to call on you. It's so true, and it's such yeah. a good reminder. Yeah. Yeah. So true. And, and that's a person who has, you know, talked about his faith in Christ pretty openly. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, call us to forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Call us to forgiveness of people when they do that. It's where you started this this hour, you know, that what does Christ do in those moments? You know, the, it, again, Psalm, I can't, it's one of the first couple of Psalms. It says, be angry, but don't sin. So you can have your moment of flash of anger and you can see how horrific that was. But when you're rooted in Christ, 
you, the power of the Holy Spirit in you is what helps calm you down. And so you can feel that emotion, but then you can say, okay, Lord, you know, but for grace go I, help me, Lord, in this moment to reflect you when it isn't the natural thing to do. The natural thing is to get up and smack him. But that's mm-hmm. not what happens in the life of a believer because of the power of the Holy Spirit in us. We choose to forgive and to see people in their brokenness and and try to, you know, turn the other cheek, as Jesus has reminded us to do. Yeah, it's so good. I think this is going to be fodder for ongoing conversation. Linda, as always, thank you so much. You guys can listen to the Dr. Linda Mental Show here on the Faith Radio Network. You can find it at MyFaithRadio.com. You can find resources related to what we were talking about today at drlindamental.com, including the effects of watching war on mental health, which was the subject of our prior conversation, and today's conversation on Does Church Help Mental Health? You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. Well, that was an excellent uh, conversation topic there on today's Breakpoint. I really, uh, I, I just appreciate that. That was very thought-provoking, stimulating. I think there's a lot of good conversational fodder there. Um, so I'm thankful for that. Um, hey, we um, need to be celebrating one another and the ministries that are happening um, in our lives, in our congregations, um, in our communities. Every single um, one of us is is called by God and then sent by God as an agent of his grace, as a minister of his reconciling love, uh, as an ambassador of his kingdom. Like, there's something out there for you to do today. God has set a divine appointment for you. And if you're saying to yourself, well, I'm not even going to leave my house today, so uh, how is it that God has set a divine appointment for me? Um, Maybe it is over social media. Maybe the divine appointment that he has set for you is that God has an expectation of prayer, that you were that you are called to prayer. Maybe he just called someone to mind when I said that. Who is the person that God called to your mind when I said, maybe today you're called to prayer? That's a divine appointment. The divine appointment is is an appointment with God that we keep. Sometimes um, there's another person or group of people involved or an environment, um, but it's always a divine appointment. It's always an appointment with God that we keep in the context um, of the culture. And so maybe the divine appointment that God has set for you today is a prayer appointment with him. Maybe it is a conversational appointment that you don't even know is going to happen yet. It's not on your calendar, but it is on God's calendar for you. So let's not miss those divine appointments today. Let's recognize that God has cultivated within us a readiness Uh, to be the good news people, to be the people who sow peace um, into the culture of our day, that we are going to bring the mind of Christ to bear, having been fully equipped and prepared for every good work that God has prepared in advance for us to do. He's prepared the good work. He's also prepared the workers. That's you and me, for the inspiration and power of his Holy Spirit. We're going to talk next with Kelly Capick from Covenant College about a book that he wrote that I just love. It's a little book for new theologians. And yes, We're giving away copies today. That conversation up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
Kelly Capick is a professor at Covenant College. Uh, he's the author of several books. In fact, I'd, I'd love to uh, discover how he published like six books in the same year in uh, in 2018 or 19. It's just crazy. But um, there's a book that we have not talked about yet um, with Kelly, and it is a little book for new theologians, and I've invited him back to talk about it today. Kelly, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks. Thanks for having me. And, and there really was no year like that. It was all it either republished stuff or something, but it's definitely like bananas, not like that. Right. There's like a bananas <laughs> list in like 2018 yeah. and 2019. Okay. Um, first of all, let's, um, let's tell people, Hey, we are giving away copies today. Um, and so if, as you listen, you say to yourself, I, I want that, or I want that for someone else, just text the word book to 877-933-2484 and we'll get you in the drawing. Um, uh, Kelly, one of your passions, I, I, I perceive, is that you want us all to think of ourselves as theologians. So let's mm-hmm. start there. Is everyone a theologian? Yeah, that's great. Appreciate you starting there. Yeah, it's such a fancy word. It's a little scary word, but actually at its base, you really could translate it. You know, people might know theos, God, and then the endology, it can mean like the study of, or some of your listeners will be familiar with that Greek word logos or word, there is a way in which you can say the word theology just means a word about God. And the reason I begin there is because the reality is we all have words about God, even if we don't speak them. And so it is like you're asking, I actually think that we're all theologians, whether we know it or not. And the question isn't, are you a theologian, but but are you a good one? And so whether you're facing a miscarriage or wondering about a job or trying to, you know, do you feel like you have dignity? All of these kinds of questions, friends, they are related to your view of God and and what are your thoughts about him? So I'm just trying to help us become better theologians that our worship and our lives might be conformed more and more to the reality of who God is and what he's doing. So let's talk a little bit um, about the book, Little uh, the little book for new theologians. Uh, it, it's um, uh, first of all, new theologians. Like you have an audience in mind mm. um, in this conversation. Let, so, can we start there? Yeah, sure. Uh, um, it, it was going to be had a, a different title originally, and the publisher decided on this one. The reason why we went with this title is there's a very famous book written, you know over 50 years ago by a German theologian called A Little Book for Young Theologians. Mm. And it was particularly towards younger people becoming theologians and some of the dangers when you start to study theology professionally. So I did my own take on that, but we chose new because often it is, you can be 60 years old and just starting to think carefully about your faith and about who God is and about the church. So I, I'm really interested in people who um, I've had pastors read it and find it it helpful, but I also just want people to not be intimidated. It, it's a little book, and it's it, you'll see, you know, it's genuinely mm-hmm. little. Like you could mm-hmm. read it in a short time. So I mean right, it to so be you, accessible. I know, and I totally love that. It is little. It is a little book for new theologians. Um, it's going to help you enter in to um, a conversation about who you are as a person who makes a study of who God is. What does it look like to enter that conversation? Um, What does it mean to know and enjoy God, to become wise? Um, And then, um, Kelly, tell us a little bit about theology as pilgrimage. Yeah, so 
One of the challenges, you know, for example, I do teach at a college and students will come in and, you know, they're going to take a doctrine class with me. And they think that my job is to give them all of the answers. And then they will have these answers for the rest of their lives and everything's done. And for some reasons, we've we've taught people to have that expectation, but it's not very healthy and it's not very true. And it creates crises for people. Theology is much more as the psalmist would say, and as Augustine would say, it is, it is a pilgrimage. We are on our way to God. And the good part about that is rather than just a set of answers, the reality is some, we're walking and we get directions and sometimes we're moving in a certain way up a mountain and we think, is this a dead end? And it is. And we need to get directions to a new way or something like that. And sometimes we'll be in the thick of the trees and then all of a sudden you'll come out and you'll see this beautiful vista And I like the imagery of pilgrimage because it's more dynamic rather than static. Our life of faith isn't just a simple set of answers. It's about growing to know and enjoy and love God and and amid our questions. Well, and it's not like an event. Okay, I've been baptized. I joined a church. My name is on a roll somewhere. Um, You know, uh, I can dust my hands of that. That's accomplished. I can put that, you know, check off that box, and then I can move on with my life the way I want to live it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a relationship here, and you talk about it as the inseparability of life and theology. Um, I have uh, I have talked about it with our kids about, you know, living a fully integrated life. Mm. Um, talk about the relationship between theology, the way we might think about that term in terms of, you know, right thinking uh, or thinking about God, right thinking about God, um, versus living. So orthodoxy and orthopraxy, um, if you want to use uh, more big theological words. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's interesting because it is a more reciprocal relationship than we tend to appreciate. So our thinking does often shape our lives in important ways. And so misunderstandings about who God is, for example, you know, if you ask most of the listeners, do you guys think God is loving? We say yes. But if you start to explore it for many of us, what you find is actually, we think of the father's angry and, and just ready to pounce on us. That's actually bad theology and getting better theology can help your life. But similarly, our lives can for good or bad, not just bad, but for good or bad, can shape our theology. Um, I've, I've known people who the idea of God is sovereign or over all things sounds like a very scary philosophical doctrine, and then they'll deny it. But when you actually listen to their prayers, they're utterly dependent upon God and his provision, and they are living the sovereignty of God, even if they don't know how to articulate it or the words make them nervous. So there is this connection, and this is why Paul says, watch your life and your doctrine, because we can be helped or hurt by neglecting either of those. Okay, repeat that. Yeah, so our by it, we've all known one of the reasons a lot of people hate theology, and I'll just be honest with you, is because they've met people who love theology who are jerks. Mm. <laughs> and that's a huge problem. And I think it's pretty rampant in some of our conservative uh, circles, and I'm, I'm part of this world, um, where we use theology as a weapon. Well, that's not good theology. That, that is, you are hurting people. You are using it as a club. It is not about life and love and grace and, um, and conviction and healing. So I do think theology itself can be abused. So we need to not just have right words. We need to have our lives. And sometimes, and this is a longer conversation, 
but sometimes our lives can be better than our theology. We mm. can understand the grace of God in a way that we struggle to articulate, or we can under, we can live in dependence upon God and his sovereignty in a way that when it comes to explaining it might make us very nervous. So it's not just that our theology is better than our lives. Sometimes our lives are better than our theology. And so I'm just trying to help us see how these are interconnected. And that is why Paul is saying, listen, watch your life. Because if you neglect things, if you allow your heart to get hard, that's going to be a problem. But watch your doctrine too. Because if you start to misunderstand God, his church, his world, that's going to distort your life. I think one of the things you're pointing to, Kelly, is that there, there is goodness, beauty, and truth everywhere. Not everybody mm-hmm. knows why, and not everybody knows who's behind all of that. So maybe we can, um, maybe we can go in that direction when we um, return to this conversation. We're talking with Kelly Capick. We're talking about his book, A Little Book for New Theologians. We are giving away copies today. If you'd like to enter that drawing, simply text the word book to 877 877- Nine three three two four eight four. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. And Everyone has a theology. You have a theology. I have a theology. That theology is operational. Um, it influences and shapes how we live, what we do, what we say, how we interpret the events of the day. Um, So we are talking today about being good theologians. And how do you become a good theologian or a faithful theologian might be better language. The book is A Little Book for New Theologians. Kelly Capick is the author. We are giving away copies. If you'd like to enter the drawing for the copies we're giving away today, just text the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, Kelly, let's talk about that. Let's talk about um, pursuing faithful theology and pursuing a life as a faithful theologian. Yeah, so one of the things that I would encourage us to be thinking about is the role of humility and repentance. Um, And humility is very scary for us these days because it feels like if you're humble, you're going to get trampled on, um, that kind of thing. But God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And part of what humility says is not just, um, I'm sorry, but it says, I don't know. (laughs) And it admits when we don't know and seeks answers. It seeks help. Um, And that brings up repentance because it's very interesting. Repentance sounds like a very, none of us really love the idea of repentance. Or we have reduced repentance to you, you're greedy, you're lustful, you're this or that. But actually, biblically, uh, you look at John the Baptist, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The repentance there is not merely about little things in your lives. John is calling them to repent because they have misunderstood who God is and how he's working. And they need to turn from those misunderstandings about God and turn to Christ And repentance, rightly understood, is not a sad thing. It's joyful. So in humility, we recognize places we've been wrong, conviction of the Holy Spirit, and we joyfully open to the scriptures and to God's people through the ages, are willing to be changed, um, to have our thoughts and our lives changed in some of those ways. So humility and repentance are, are a great gift in this way. 
I think the Apostle Paul is such a good um, reminder of this. You know, he mm-hmm. had a very strong operational theology. It led him to, um, you know, seek the death, certainly the arrest and removal um, of Christians, of people of the way, of people who he regarded as bad uh, mm. theologians, right? And then yeah. God changed his uh, understanding. They had mm. a they had a moment, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and um, Paul becomes a different person. He repents of the wrong ideas mm. that he had about God. Um, he allowed God to change his mind and mm. and. We know Paul as a very, very different person than the very first Christians understood Paul to be. And so they had to let their minds be changed as well, right? I mean, there are all these Christians who are like, that guy is a bad guy. He has bad theology and he does bad things. Um, And so there's a community part of this as well. My openness to allow someone Mm. to change, Mm -hmm. right, and not hold their sins against them. God's not holding it against them anymore. Why do I? Yeah, and the the community is important for theological formation because community of both the living and the dead. (laughs) Um, Mm. One of the dangers we have is um, kind of anytime you you cling to a particular age, uh, there's a saying, you know, when you, you know, make the current age your, your spouse, you quickly become a widower because it changes. And it's very hard for us. It's not just other people. It's Christians we don't know how we're influenced by our particular age and even our subculture of Christians. So the tradition um, for 2,000 years really helped shape us and give us confidence. When we say we believe things, the more of the church that is in the breadth of the church, the more of the church that agrees with what we're saying, the better. And when someone just says, this must be true because I think it, and there's no one behind them, then the odds are they are probably misunderstanding the scriptures. It's not a guarantee, but that's the odds. So the community helps protect us even from ourselves. Um, And so there is a dynamic of both. I personally have a relationship with God, but that relationship is grounded within the faith of the community. So as Hebrews says, you know, we receive this faith. It is, it is preexistent. We don't generate the faith. It's given to us. We receive it and are stewards of that faith. Um, so there is both a personal and a corporate side to that. Yeah, I think that's so helpful. Um, we receive the faith once delivered. We don't generate mm. it. That's, um, you know, I, I think that when I uh, when I consider, you know, people who are pursuing, let's say, PhDs in some area of theology um, or theological inquiry today, and, you know, so much of that is you have to have a new idea about something. you got to publish something mm-hmm. new about something. Um there, there's dangerous. not. That's very, very dangerous, right? Because yeah. really, it's the um, it's the faith once delivered to all the saints, us included, yeah. that matters. Discovering the truth and then living in it, regardless of how it lines up with my feelings, like that's theology and theology and practice, um, and that's really what I think you're um, helping people see in a little book for new theologians. Yeah, can I? Do we have another second for me to jump, sure. throw something else in there? So, yes. one area that might be an example of where I think in the last 50 years, evangelicals, um, we've had a blind spot, not really realized it, is when we talk about knowing God, we often just talk about sentences. But it's interesting if you if you study if you study the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, and, and look for a text that actually says, "What does it mean to know God?" With that language. 
What you actually find is, is in Jeremiah where it says he defended the cause of the poor and the needy and all went well. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord. Mm. And we never tend historically in, in recent decades, just recent decades, to think of the poor um, as part of knowing God. That starts to sound like a problem. James, what's true and right religion to, to visit the orphan um, and the widow in their affliction to keep yourself unstained from the world. That's true religion. So we, one of the dangers getting back to where we started is to reduce theology to the mind. And mm. the reality is good theology must be lived. So there are a lot of Christians, maybe even listening who hate theology because they feel like you guys talk, but never do anything. That's a fair critique. And then there are some Christians who love the talking and worry that people are doing things without thinking through it. Why do we pick between those? But I do want to push us that good theology is, and you kind of hinted at this earlier, it's lived and it has a bent toward the poor, toward the vulnerable, toward the needy, um, and that the church manifests what God is like as we extend love and forgiveness and generosity and grace. And that's theology. That's not something else. Mm. Kelly Capick currently working on A Theology of the Christian Life. So that's uh, his current work. We can pray for Kelly as he is oh, doing that great. work. If if you've never read um, A Field Guide to Becoming Whole um, and Becoming Whole, Why the Opposite of Poverty is Not the American Dream, those are really, really good on that last point that Kelly was just mm. making. The book we're technically discussing today is a little book for new theologians. We're giving away copies, so you can text the word book to 877-933-2484 to enter that drawing. Kelly Capick, as always, thank you so much for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks. Delight to be with you. It's a total delight. We'll be right back. Ephesians 4, 29 and 30, verses for the day. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto others. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, for by him you were sealed unto the day of redemption. All right, let's, uh, let's apply the mind of Christ to the matters of the day. Let's think critically and Way, in ways that are aligned with the Word of God, and then let's go live it. Let's go be a living demonstration of the gospel to others today. People are living in darkness. They need great light. The light of the world has come. They know not His name, and we do. And it is Jesus. Go be Jesus-y today. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.